Looking in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 3 this morning, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 3. First Samuel chapter number 3, and began reading with verse number 19. The Bible says that Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the word of God today. Father, we just pray today that you will anoint us by your Holy Spirit today. Father, I pray that, Father, you'll help us to open our ears today and receive the word of the Lord this morning. And God, not only will we listen and hear it today, but Father, help us, Father, to apply the word of the Lord that we receive, Father, for the glory of God We ask in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, praise the Lord, Lord. and you may be reseated this morning. Well, today we're going to take a little glimpse into the life of a man named Samuel. As we take a quick walk through his life, there are a lot of things that we can learn. And I just want to point out a few of them to you today. The first thing I want us to notice, I want us to notice, number one, the problem. And the problem is found... In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 2. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 2 says that uh, Elkanah had two wives. That's his first problem. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Hannah has a problem. She has no children. Now, in her day, it was absolutely a disgrace if you were not able to bear your husband, not only a child, but a male child. Her husband's other wife, Penina, had been able to do that. And because of that, she made fun of her and taunted her and made her life absolutely miserable. In her day, a woman couldn't even, feel full, couldn't even feel fulfilled if she wasn't married and if she could not give her husband a son. It was like there was no reason or no purpose for her to be if she were not able to get married and able to produce a man-child for her husband. Well, friend, today we have the same problem. We have the same problem. Too many saints today are not bearing spiritual children. Just as it was a disgrace in the, in the day of Hannah not to be able to bear natural children, so it is in our day. It ought to be a disgrace, friend. Amen. If we are not bearing spiritual children. How many understand that sheep bear sheep? Now, I know that we're living in a day of the professional clergy. We're living in a day where the church wants to hire everything done. And they'll hire a preacher for this and for that and something else. And this staff member for this and that and something else. That's the day that we live in. We're living in the day of the specialist. We're living in the day of the hired hand. We're living in the day when the church will just hire everything done. But I want to tell you that the will of God is for you to bear sheep. It's the will of God for you, amen, to bear children for the kingdom of God. 
Sheep bear sheep. Healthy, healthy sheep will naturally reproduce themselves. And therefore, healthy saints ought to be reproducing themselves as well. And the question that I have for you this morning is, when is the last time that you bore a son or a daughter for the Lord? And have you ever? That's a problem. The second thing that I find in this story, I want us to notice not only the problem, but but I want us to notice the prayer. Notice the prayer that's found in verse number 10 of chapter number 1. It says, and she, speaking of Hannah, she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. Hannah didn't take her problem lightly. She was in agony over her situation. She prayed earnestly about her situation. She she was desperate that she must, she must have a child and she must give her husband a man child. Friend, does it even bother us at all that we go year after year after year after year with a barren spiritual wound? Do we even pray about it? Have we ever even asked God to help us to win somebody for Him? Did you know this morning that there are people that are already in your life right now that need God? Do you understand that there are people right now in your life that are hurting? There are people that are in your life that are needy. There are people in your life right now that are vulnerable. And they are open right now. They would receive, amen, the word that you would have for them. They would receive your help if only you would do something. If only you would reach out to them. If only you would minister to them. And friend, if nothing else, if nothing else, just a simple invitation to church. Just a simple invitation to church. Oh, telling them, can I, can I uh, meet you at church or can I come and pick you up for church? And, and after church, we'll go out to lunch and I'll, I'll take care of your lunch. Just a simple invitation to church. And then getting him in the church and getting him in the presence of God. And letting the Holy Spirit of God do a work in their heart and in, any life, and in their life. Friend, anybody ought to be able to do that. Hannah did something about her problem. She did something about her barrenness. Hannah prayed. Friend, are you praying about your spiritual barren womb? The third thing that I find in this story is found in verse number 11, and that is the promise. The promise. She made a vow, and she said, And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. She said, if you'll do this for me, God, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. In prayer, Hannah promises God, God, if you will only hear my prayer, God, if you will only respond to my anguish, God, if you will only open my womb and give me a man-child, God, if you will do that for me, then I will give him back to you. God, I will dedicate him to you. Father, I will give him to you. Father, I will dedicate him to the work and the service of Almighty God. Friend, have you ever made a promise to God? Have you ever made a promise to God? God, if you'll do this or you'll do that or you'll do something else, then God, I'll do thus and so. Have you ever made a promise to God? Look at verse number 17. Then Eli answered and said to her, said, Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked 
of him. Eli the priest promises Hannah, Ah, Hannah, God has seen your anguish. He has heard your cry. God has answered your prayer. And he promises her that she's going to receive the man-child. She's going to get the very desire of her heart. How many of you remember the movie, The Field of Dreams? Remember that movie, Field of Dreams? A voice spoke to the character played by Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. Everybody knows that famous line. If you build it, they will come. Listen to me this morning. If we become serious about our empty spiritual womb like Hannah was serious about her empty natural womb. friend, If we will pray for spiritual children like Hannah prayed for natural children. How if we will pray about our problem, we'll receive a promise. If we will ask God to send people into our lives, if we will ask God to bring people across our path, if we will ask God to send us people that we can pour into their lives, let me tell you, God will hear us, God will answer us, and God will bring people into our lives that we can nurture, that we can minister to, that we can draw unto Him. Jesus said in John 4 and 30, and 4 and 35, He said, uh, He said, lift up your eyes and look. Oh, pastor, if the situation were just right, or someday when the situation is right, or someday when God sends this one or that one, or everything's just right, then, then I'll witness, then I'll share my faith, and I'll, then I'll try and lead somebody to the Lord. No, Jesus said, don't you even dare say, there's four months and then a harvest. Don't dare say, you know, the harvest that's going to come in the future, then I'll do something now. Jesus said, don't you even dare say, there's four months and then there's a harvest. Jesus said, I say to you, just lift up your eyes and look. Just lift, open your Spiritual eyes and look, Jesus said. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white. All ready to harvest. I'm telling you there's a harvest field right there where you live. Right there where you work. Right there where you play. I'm telling you that there are people in your life right now that are ready for the, they're ready to be harvested. The harvest is wide, my friend. Amen. If we'll just open our eyes. Amen. There are people that we can lead to the Lord. Hallelujah. Just as the Just as the priest Eli had promised, God opened Hannah's womb and gave her a son. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 19 and 20 says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. And it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and she bore a son and called his name Samuel saying because I have asked him from the Lord. I'm telling you my friend amen that God will hear our cry. He will hear our prayer. Amen. He will send people into our lives. He will allow us amen to win people to God and influence them in the things of the Lord. The fourth thing that I notice in this little story this morning are the life of Samuel. The fourth thing is the presentation found in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 24 through 28. The presentation, 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 24 through 28. The Bible says that when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. I'm that woman. Remember me? 
For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord there. Hannah does good on her promise. She had a need. She had a problem. She had no child. She was a disgrace. She wanted to show her love to her husband by giving him the man-child. And she went to the house of God and she cried out to God and she prayed and she asked God for a child and she promised God. She said, God, if you'll give me that child, if you'll give me that man child, God, I will, I will give him back to you. I will bring him to the house of God. I will dedicate him to you. I will give his life to you. And God heard her prayer and God moved upon her body and she conceived and she had a child and she named him Samuel. But when the time came, when the time came, my friend, she too, amen, kept her promise. She did good on her promise. She brought him to the house of God and offered him to the priest. Friend, how about us? Do we follow through on our promises? Oh, when our kid was sick and nigh unto death and we didn't know if we were going to make it or not, didn't know if they were going to pull through and we said, God, if you'll only spare my child, I'll do this or that or something else. All the time we were in desperate and dire straits and we said, oh God, God, if you'll just help me out here, God, I'll do this, that, and something else. God was faithful and God intervened and God did what he needed to do for you. But have you been faithful to your promise? Have you been faithful? To your promise. A pastor was sitting by a rich man on an airplane one day when they began to encounter a terrific storm. And the plane began to shake and extreme turbulence was felt by all and there was fear throughout the plane and people were worried and fearful and thinking maybe they were going to go down and maybe they were going to lose their life. The rich man became terrified and he began to cry out to God. He cried out and he said, God, he said, God, if you'll just get us through this storm and God, if you'll just get us back down on the, down on the ground safely, God, if you will spare us, God, I'll, I'll give this preacher sitting next to me, I'll give him a million dollars for his church. Almost immediately, almost immediately, the plane was through the storm and on the ground. Pastor said to the rich man, said, I couldn't help overhearing your prayer about giving my church a million dollars if God would get us through the storm and get us back down on the ground. And the pastor said, here, here's my card. It has my address on it where you can mail the check for a million dollars. The rich man said to the pastor, oh no, pastor. He said, I've made God an even better deal. I've told God now, if I ever get back on another plane, I'll give that preacher two million Not so with Hannah. Not so with Hannah. She didn't try and wiggle out of her deal. She didn't try and renegotiate her promise. God made good on His promise. She would make good on hers. I ask you this morning, has God made good on His promises to you? Has God been faithful in His promises to you? Then we need to be faithful with our promise to Him. Have you made good on your promises to God or have you forgotten all about it? Are you trying to renegotiate and make a new deal and wiggle out of your, out of your promise? 
The fifth thing that I find in this, about the, uh, in the life of Samuel, that is the, the, the preparation. Number five is the preparation. The preparation is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And verse number 18, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing the linen ephod. Samuel was brought to the house of God as a child, given to Eli the priest for him to teach and train and nurture in the work of the Lord. I want you to notice something this morning as we glean some things through this young man's life. I want you to notice that we need to prepare ourselves for the work of the Lord. We need to prepare ourselves for the work of the Lord. Some of you will relate to this. Some of you will think I made it up because it's so preposterous. But I grew up, when I was a kid, I grew up in a day, in a time in Pentecost where uh, it was thought to, to, to be, it was thought that preparation was unspiritual. Everything in the church depended upon inspiration. They called it being led by the Spirit. But actually it was no more than ill or non-preparation. The musicians didn't even practice with the song leader. Didn't have a worship team like we have today with just a single song leader. They may or may not know who that is. It may depend on who shows up that day. And the musicians didn't practice with the song leader. And sometimes they'd have to start all over two or three times to get the right key. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Huh? And sometimes the song leader didn't even know what they were going to lead. And they would get up to lead singing and not even know the songs they were going to sing. Because they were going to be led by the Spirit. And they'd be thumbing through the songbook on their way up to the platform to lead the singing. Amen? And oh, here, here's one of my favorites. Sometimes they, you know, they're thumbing through the songbook in the middle of the service, or maybe they're on the third verse and just about ready for the fourth verse, so they need another song. And they're trying to lead and looking for the next song at the same time. And, and well, that song is over, they don't have another one, and so. Does anyone have a selection? Remember those days? Does anybody have a selection? And somebody would yell out a number like 157. And so the song leader would look up page 157 and perhaps they'd get to page 157 and they would say to the person that yelled out 157, I'm sorry, but I don't know that one. And they'd just start having their little conversation with the person in the congregation. Or, oh, I don't know that song, but we'll try it anyway. And they would bumble and stumble through it, and it was more like a train wreck. Or, my favorite of all was when they would say, well, I, I, I don't know this one. Why don't you come up here and lead it? And so somebody from out of the congregation would jump up with their book and run up here whether they could sing or not, whether they could direct or lead or not. They would get up and again, it was another train wreck most of the time. 
Because preparation, that wasn't spiritual. We were to be led by the Spirit. And so it was instead of being led by the Spirit, they just flew by the seat of their pants. And the preachers, the preachers in those days, when I was growing up, if the preacher brought up a notebook like this that had 15 pages of notes written out, how oh, he'd almost be tarred and feathered and run out of town because he's not spiritual at all. He's got his sermon written down. And so preachers got to be real sneaky. And they'd hide little notes in their Bible. Throughout their Bible. It looked like they're turning to the next scripture, but they're, well, along the way they're reading the next point or whatever. How I many know what I'm talking about? Amen? Many, many years ago now, I became pastor of a church. And my first Sunday there, the song leaders, so far back we didn't even have a worship team or worship. I mean, we're talking many years ago. But the song leader came up to me before the service and he's, I was, it's my brand new, I'm brand new there. I'm, I'm my first Sunday as pastor there. And the song leader asked me, he said, Pastor, he said, what's my cue? What's your what? He said, what's my cue? I said, I don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. He said, when do you want me to stop leading songs? I said, when you're done. That's a good idea to quit when you're done, huh? He said, no, no, no. He said, when do you... I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, our pastor before you said he would always get his sermon. Amen. On the, uh, he would be sitting in his chair and he would be getting his sermon while we were, were, while we were leading singing and singing songs. And he said, sometimes I led four songs. Sometimes I led five songs. Sometimes he was having a real hard time getting a sermon, so I would lead six songs. But he said, I knew my cue was as soon as he shut his Bible, that was my cue that he was ready to preach. I called him by name and I said, listen, I'm ready to preach. Amen. Sing what you're supposed to sing and then sit down and I will get up and I will preach because I'm prepared. One of our core values at New Bethel is excellence. We want to do everything with excellence. Now, excellence doesn't mean that we do everything better than everybody else, does it? Man, we can do church better than any other church in town, so we ought to get all the church folk in our church. No, 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 that's not what it's all about. Excellence doesn't mean we're going to try and do everything better than everybody else. It simply means we're going to take the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has entrusted us with, and we're going to do the very best we can with what we have to work with. That's excellence. And to be excellent requires preparation. You can't be an excellent Sunday school teacher without preparing yourself all week long for your class. If you're just getting your lesson together on Sunday afternoon before five o'clock, hey man, you're making, you're, you're, you're messing up. You need to be preparing your lesson. Hey man, as soon as you're done with one lesson, you need to be starting getting ready for the next one. Hey man, Sunday night. Hey man, before you go to bed, you need to be looking and seeing what the next week's lesson is. And on Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week, you need to be studying and preparing it and praying and seeking God and preparing and getting your heart right and getting your lesson just right so that when you stand before the, those that God has put into your trust, you will have a word from them and you can be a blessing and an encouragement to them. 
I remember when I was about nine years old or so, I can remember my Sunday school teacher. And all she did was stand over by the window and hold her blouse open and, and fan herself. Obviously, she hadn't studied because she would read the, the lesson word for word. And when it would say, express this, she would read that, express this. <laughs> Emphasize this. Come on now. Come on now. Listen, you can't be an excellent uh, teacher, amen, without preparing yourself all week long. Amen. God has blessed you. God has entrusted to you. I don't care if you're talking to kindergartners. Amen. You need to be studying and preparing and getting ready. Amen. So when you stand before them or you're kneeling or sitting with them or whatever, you're all on the floor or however that you do it. Amen. You will be able to teach and train and nurture. God has trusted you with them and you need to take that seriously. You can't be an excellent worship team without diligent preparation. Hey man, you can't just stumble in here and bumble in here and try and kind of go wing it and make it up as you go and hope it all fits and hope it all works together. No, we need to do everything in excellence. Hey man, that means we need to have diligent preparation. That means we must be willing, hey man, to work hard at the work of God that God has called us to. I can't be excellent in my ministry by relying on past experience and past preaching material to carry me through. Can't do that, won't do that, refused to do that. A few months ago, I threw away 500 old sermons say, praise God. <laughs> it takes diligent preparation. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Colossians 3 and 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. Samuel received hands-on training from Eli the priest. Now let me say two things here very quickly this morning. Number one, we should, thorough, we should be thoroughly prepared. We should thoroughly prepare ourselves before we endeavor to minister. Before we endeavor to do anything that we're going to do for God, we need to make sure that we are thoroughly prepared to do it. No matter what our ministry is. And number two, we should be mentoring someone. We should be mentoring someone. We should be taking someone by the hand and teaching and training them and nurturing them and teaching them how to do our ministry and teaching them to help us in our ministry and to eventually take over our ministry. Not so that we can retire and sit back and do nothing. No, no, no. But we have mentored them. We've taught them. We've trained them. And then we hand off the ball to them. And they'll do as good or better than we. And then we can go on to another ministry and we can start all over. And we can take some and we can teach them and train them and minister to them. And get them up and going and doing things better than we could even do. And then we can put it in their hands. And then we can go on and do another ministry. And never run out of something to do in the work of the Lord. My wife and I try not just to be the boss of our associates. We don't try and just get good people to do that have great talents and abilities and get them to do things and help us and all of that kind of things. But we also do our best and don't do it. We need to do better and we're trying to do better. But we also want to endeavor, endeavor to mentor them and teach them and train them. A couple months ago or so, I was asked to do a funeral. It wasn't anybody in our church. It's just someone that I had met through some other folks. And they asked me to come and do a funeral. And I said, sure, I'll help them. And 
So I asked Pastor Steve, I said, Pastor Steve, you're not too busy. I said, why don't you come with me today and let me help you. And, and we'll, I've, I've got a funeral and you can walk with me. You can be there with me and you can learn some things because there's coming a day when you'll be doing the funerals. It'll be your church or whatever, wherever you're at or doing or whatever. And you, I can, you can learn by watching me and by asking questions. He said, sure, Pastor, I'd love to. So we get in my truck and I start telling him about doing funerals. And now this is where you stand and this is what you do and this is what you say and don't say. And, you know, this is where you stand at the end of the service and at the graveside. This is what you do and this is what you say. Da, 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 da. Just, just, I'm just going through everything, just telling him all the things that you should do and shouldn't do. And I'm getting all engrossed and mentoring him and teaching him and training him about funerals. And I look up and I'm lost. I'm in the northern part of Arlington that I'm not very familiar with and I'm lost. And it's 10 minutes until time to start the funeral. I'm lost. I don't even know where I'm at. So we try making a phone call. We try the GPS. We try, I mean, we're, we're just trying everything in the world, trying to find where we're at and how, you know, I got to find out first of all where I'm at before I can just find out where, how to get where I'm going. And I'm all frustrated, you know, because man, you know, I should have been there 10 minutes ago. I should have been there 15 minutes early. And here it is 10 minutes till two. This, the service starts at two o'clock and the preacher's not there. Not only is the preacher not there, he's lost. And I run up against a stoplight and it's red. I ain't got time for no stoplight, man. I mean, I'm lost. I'm lost as a goose and I'm late. I don't know where I'm going, so I just run the red light. I don't mean to break the law. I just need to get to the funeral. And sure enough, I didn't look. And sure enough, I go through the red light and blink. Camera, red light camera. Finally, we, I don't know if it was GPS or telephone or whatever, but we finally, we finally make it. And man, I mean, I'm running in there at the last minute, man. I mean, it's just straight up two o'clock. And, and, you know, I haven't even got the obituary yet. And I like to get there early. So if there's some hard names to pronounce, I can ask, how do you pronounce McKillicuddy? You know, how do you do that? And so I, I don't have time for that. And man, they usher me back into my room and everything. And man, and so now it's time to start the funeral. And I'm all flustered and I'm all messed up, man. Usually I'm calm, calm cool and collected. I, I, I've been told I do a pretty good funeral. I've had people say, I'd just die right now. Just have you do my funeral. You do such a good job at funerals. But I didn't do very good that day. I blundered and I stumbled and I made mistakes and I messed up. and couldn't wait to get that thing all the way over with. And on our way home, I looked over at Pastor Steve and I said, Pastor Steve, I said, I've just showed you everything you ought not do at a funeral. It's called reverse mentoring. We ought to be mentoring people. We ought to be teaching and training and nurturing people to do our job so that we can turn it over to them so we can go do something else. Amen? Amen? Wow. The sixth thing. That is the presumption. I don't have time to read it, but in chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, where the Lord calls out to Samuel three times, and three times he responds thinking it's Eli, but not, then Eli understands that it's, uh, that it's uh, the Lord, and he tells uh, Eli, next time you hear this voice, then just say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's what's in those nine verses. But I want you to notice, friend, that Samuel did the work of the Lord without any personal knowledge Without a personal encounter with the Lord, he did the work of the Lord. Verse 7 says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Samuel lived with the man of God. He worked at the house of God, and yet he had no personal experience with God. 
perhaps Samuel presumed my mother dedicated me to God from birth. Oh, I'm with the priest 24-7. I work right alongside of him in the house of God, no less. Isn't that enough? But no, friend, no, my friend, that's not enough. And oh, friend, I'm, I'm persuaded that people presume I was dedicated as a baby. I've gone to church my entire life. I do all the church stuff. Isn't that enough? Let me tell you this morning, just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into the kitchen makes you a refrigerator. We must not presume that we are saved just because we've been in church our whole life or because our parents are leaders in the church. Amen. We must all have our own personal encounter, our personal relationship with God. When Eli perceived that God was calling Samuel, Eli said to Samuel, the next time you hear this voice, speak and respond by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. My question to you this morning is, have you ever had a personal encounter with God? Oh, pastor, I'm on the worship team. So? Big wop. Some people sing and play instruments in church simply because they love music. They don't necessarily love God. They don't necessarily love the house of God. They just love music. And because they love music and they're good at it, they get stuck on the platform doing worship. In some churches. You say, well, how in the world do you know whether they love God or they just love music? Let me tell you that, that if they don't sing or they don't play instruments and they, they, they stay home because they're not playing or they're not singing on the platform, that lets you me, tell me know, amen, that they're not really in love with God and they're not really in love with this house. They're just in love with the music. Because we've got to be more than just in love with our ministry. We need to be more than just in love with our talent. We need to be more than in love with just what we do. But we need to be in love with the Lord. We need to be in love with the one that we are worshiping and praising. Do I have a personal encounter with God? Well, pastor, I teach Sunday school. Well, so what? Big deal. Some people teach Sunday school simply because they were asked to. Some people teach Sunday school just because they were trained to do it. Preachers' kids grow up working in the church from childhood whether they want to or not. Pastor Dad says, you will go to church, you will work in the church, and you will love it. (laughs) My sister was the church pianist at the age of nine. Friends, it's dangerous to presume upon salvation. Make sure that you have a personal encounter with God. Make sure that experience is up to date. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, He said, On judgment day, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in Your name, and Lord, we cast out demons in Your name. Lord, we were on the worship team, Lord. Oh, we sang the solo in the cantata, God. God, we were in Royal Rangers, God. We were a worker, a worker in the impact growth. And Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You were in the house of God. You were involved in the work of God. But you never had a personal encounter with me. Let's look at the personal encounter. Verse number 7. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10. Now the Lord came and He stood and He called out His other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. Samuel had a personal encounter with God that night. Oh, friend. 
Oh, the sweetness, the joy, the blessedness of a personal encounter with God. Friend, God desires to meet with us. Oh, He desires to commune with us. He desires daily fellowship with us. The eighth thing that I find here, and that is the prophecy found in 2 Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. says, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel as, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile and he would not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And then Eli called Samuel and he said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, I am here. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you, do, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. God tells Samuel that he's going to judge the house of Eli because Eli allowed his sons to do wickedness and evil and perversion and did not punish them or correct them for it. Samuel receives this word, this word of judgment to give to his own mentor. Samuel doesn't want to give this message to Eli. Nobody likes to deliver bad news. It's not fun for him to be the messenger of judgment. I want to tell you that it's not always fun, the message that God lays upon my heart to give to this body of believers. Amen. I don't always want to give it. It's not always easy to stand up here and give the word that God has given me to give. Eli says to Samuel, Tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Give me the message that you have been given to give to me. And he says, if you don't give me the message that God gave you to give to me, then you're as guilty as I am. And you will receive the same judgment from God that I receive. Verse 17 tells us that. If we had time, we'd look at Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. Write it down and look it up and read it later. The last thing I want us to look at this morning as we try and close this message. Let's notice the prophet. The prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. Our text, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Notice the prophet Samuel. Samuel. What a blessing. What a blessing he turned out to be. One of the greatest men that ever lived. One of the greatest men in the entirety of the word of God. This man Samuel. 
But Samuel didn't become who he became all by himself. No, no, he had a mother who prayed him into existence. He had a mother who kept her promise and gave him back to God. He had a mother who brought him to the house of God. He had a mother that gave him over to the man of God to teach and train and mentor and raise in the ways of God. And she would come every year and bring the supplies and the needs that he would need. He had a mentor, Eli, somebody to teach him, someone to train him, someone to nurture him. And he had a good heart, a heart for God and a heart for the work of God. And he had a personal encounter with God. For when God spoke, he listened and responded to God. Pastor Braden, if you could help me this morning as we try and close this morning. We've been talking today about a man named Samuel. Samuel, he was a real person. He he wasn't just some made up story. It wasn't just something made up. But Samuel, this was a real incident. It was a real, a real person in a real period of time. But let me tell you this morning that there are many, many, many Samuels. In fact, there are Samuels that are right here in this service today. There are some Samuels today that you were dedicated to God as just a baby. The problem is that's where it stopped. You were dedicated to the Lord as a baby, but that's where it stopped. You never grew. You never matured. You never had that personal encounter with God. There are some Samuels today who are simply going through the motions. Like Samuel in his early days, he stood by the man of God. He stood and he did some of the priestly duties. And he was with the priest and he was with the man of God. And he walked with the man of God and he was trained by the man of God. And he did some of the work with the man of God. But he still, he didn't have a personal encounter with God. He went through the motions. He was in the house of God. He walked with the men of God. He was there. He knew about God. He knew about the church. He knew about the workings and the trappings of religion. But there was no relationship. There are Samuels like that today in this building. Some that even work for God, involved in the house of God but are not in fellowship with God. You heard a young man, and I'm not picking on anyone, it just happened, you heard a young man, he went on a mission trip, he went to New York on a mission trip, and he, by his own words, where I didn't even know if I believed in God. Well, I know part of that's just his age, and we all been there and done that. That will be the last struggle he has with that. There's some Samuels here today. You're here today for whatever reason you're here. I don't know. Maybe you're just here because it's just the thing to do. That's what we do on Sunday. I I was taught to go to church. I I was brought to church as a a child. That's just what we do. I'm I'm just here. I'm going through the motions. I'm doing it. But there's no personal 
relationship or encounter with God. Oh, but then there are some Samuels here today that you do have a personal relationship with God. There are some Samuels that are here today and you have matured in the Lord. There are some Samuels that are here today and you're doing the work of the Lord. We just couldn't do it without you. The question I have this morning is which Samuel are you? Which Samuel are you? Which Samuel are you? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Father, I just pray that you'll take this word this morning, oh God. The word that you burned in our spirit today, oh God. Oh God, I just pray, Father. Oh God. God, don't... We don't want to develop church members. We don't want to develop religious people. We want... To get people into a personal relationship. Samuel couldn't even discern between the voice of his mentor and the voice of the master. He couldn't even separate the man of God from God. Oh, God, help us today to separate church from a relationship with you. Separate religion from relationship. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed today. I I wonder if you're here today and you're like Samuel was at one particular time in his life. Yes, you've been dedicated to God. Yes, you're in the house of God today. Yes, you've been involved in the work of God. You lack that personal encounter and personal relationship. If that's you here today, would you be bold enough to lift your hand and let me pray with you today? If I've described you, lift your hand and let me pray with you today. Anyone in this room? God bless you, young lady. Thank you so much. You can put your hand down. Someone else today. Someone else in this room today, lift it up real high and let me recognize. Thank you, sir. God bless you. You can put your hand down today. Wow. Someone else today? Someone else today? Someone, God bless you. And you can put your hand down right now. Anyone else today? This morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me. You, the three that raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me, but don't just repeat a prayer. Pray this from your heart. Let this become your prayer this morning. It's not the method that we use. It's the turning of the heart towards God. I want everyone to repeat this prayer with me so that these do not have to pray by themselves today. Everyone repeat this prayer. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I look to God for my salvation. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. 
I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I ask Jesus to come into my life right now. Save me right now. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you prayed it in sincerity and you prayed it from your heart, God heard your prayer and you've just met the Lord. You need to be baptized in water by immersion. We're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer on the table table there. I need you to sign up and I need you to be here that day. Let us baptize you in water. You need to start reading the Word of God.